I'm pretty excited to speak to you today about Samson uh, because it's one of my favorite stories, and we're going to look at it in some detail. There is actually a Bible app event for this, and that will be your friend. Otherwise, I would ask you to open your Bibles to Judges 13. And if you don't have your own Bible, there should be a Bible near you in a rack under a chair, and I would really encourage you to get it because these verses are not going to be on the screen. There's just too many of them, and I'd like you to see them on a page or on your device. Uh, Bible app event would have it, and also Judges 13 in a paper Bible would have it. We're going to look at 13, 14, 15, 16, a lot of chapters, but not every word of them today. So what are your favorite kind of movies? Some would say, oh, I like action movies. My wife would say, I like uh, science fiction. Your wife would say, I like Hallmark. And I would say, I pity you. <laughs> yeah, you know, for years, my favorite kind of actions were, I'm sorry, my favorite kind of movies were what I call R movies. I'm not talking about R-rated movies. I'm talking about movies about revenge. That starts with the letter R, right? You think about it, that covers just about every Clint Eastwood movie that I've ever seen, right? Right, yeah. Um, because think of Josie Wales. There he is, just farming, being a nice guy, and in comes Red Legs and blows everything up and burns his house, kills his family, and the rest of the movie is Clint Eastwood shooting everybody he can, right? And so I like those R movies. There's another R kind of movie I like, though, and maybe I like it better. The R there doesn't stand for revenge, it stands for redemption. Redemption. You ever seen the Shawshank Redemption? Put up your hand. Yes, I saw the Shawshank Redemption. Oh, man, almost all of you. That's an R-rated movie. I don't know what you guys are doing. Wow, what a great movie. What a great movie. It's a story by Stephen King, who, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Stephen King has some of his uh, education, his formal education at uh, college, university, in theology. That was what he studied. This uh, idea of redemption, the Shawshank Redemption, I can remember when I first saw that movie, I thought, I don't see any redemption there because I was looking at it from a very distinctly Christian biblical view in a sense of nobody dies for somebody's sin there. Nobody, and that's what Jesus does when he redeems us. He dies for our sins. But redemption is a word that means you took something that seemed hopeless, seemed expired, seemed fruitless, seemed sterile, seemed dead, and you redeemed it. And you brought value out of it. You made it alive. You made it good. You made something terrible into something good, something ugly, into something beautiful. So I'm a Ben Roethlisberger fan for a couple of reasons. One, he's a Pittsburgh Steeler. And, you know, yay, thanks. There's a couple of us out there, right? Number two, I'm a Roethlisberger fan because his life is a story of redemption. Uh, if you followed his life, you know his life is a story of redemption. I love seeing pictures of him and videos of him with his wife, Ashley, who, by the way, went to Newcastle Alliance Church. My friend Phil Harrison was their pastor when she was young. I love, and, and her, her dad is still an elder in that church, someone told me recently. So I love seeing pictures of him and Ashley and their children together, videos of them together. I love hearing him tell his story because I love redemption. I love it when it's in a movie, and I love it even more when it's in real life. It's something God does. He does that with people. He apparently has done it with Ben Roethlisberger. I can tell you, without, a, without, without even batting an eye, I can tell you, he has done it in my life. I can tell you that you're going to see that he's doing it in Samson's life. And I would suggest to you he can do it in your life if you feel, I kind of need my life to turn around. Now, the story of Samson is an interesting story. And as I have prepared for these messages, I, I've spent a a little bit of time occasionally watching movies 
about it because I read the Bible text, but then you watch the movie and you say, yeah, that's not what the Bible says. It says this, and then that's something maybe I should have. It's just a great way to interact with it, to watch the movies. I didn't do that with Samson, but I wanted to read you a couple movie titles anyway. This one I have seen. It's from 1949. It's called Samson and Delilah. Here's what it says. The mighty Samson, played by Victor Mature, finds his strength and power tested by the manipulative charms of the lovely but devious Delilah, Hedy Lamar. Yeah, I guess that's part of the story. Not exactly. Okay. This one sounds better. In fact, if I can find this one on my Roku, I'm going to watch it. Samson and the Seven Miracles of the World, 1961. In the 1200s, think about where that is on the calendar. In the 1200s, in China, think about where that is on the planet, a powerful man must complete seven feats of strength to repel an invading army. Where did they get that story, right? That's not in the Bible at all, right? I still want to watch it, though. <laughs> this one I'm definitely going to watch. Samson and the Sea Beast. The muscle man saves a noble woman from a crocodile pit after she saves him from pirates. That sounds like great art right there, right? That's just fantastic stuff. I give you those titles not just to make you chuckle, but I give them to you to tell you that I think a lot of times our knowledge of Samson doesn't come from the Bible. Maybe it comes from a story that we heard told in Sunday school, which did come from the Bible, and that's great. Or maybe we heard a sermon on Samson 20 years ago, and it was about something to do with a lion and and some hair. Or maybe we've watched, uh, you know, Samson and the Sea Beast. Um, No. If your knowledge of Bible stories comes from that, I don't know what to say. Uh, It needs to come from the Bible. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at it and get it straight from the Bible, the story of Samson. We're going to cover a lot of ground today. And as we begin, I just want to to tell you this. I want to tell you that um, you're going to discover that God has a plan for Samson. So uh, I've always believed that God has a plan for his people. As a group, he has a plan for us. And as an individual, he has a plan for you. Most of you know this, that when my children were going to bed at night, I would say a sentence to them. And the sentence went like this. There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you're just the right person to do them. And, you know, as my kids were growing up, I can remember the two of them are in bed, and I'd I'd just call up the steps. There are certain things in this world God has for you to do. And I'd hear them in chorus saying, and we're exactly the right people to do them. You know how kids are, right? Yeah. It's true. I believe that of my children. I believe that of myself. I believe that of you. And I believe that was the case with Samson. To understand the life of Samson, it would do us well to look at the life and times of Samson. And he's really born in difficult times, in hard times. The book of Judges, it's the book of the Bible. And in the book of Judges, the very last sentence of the book seems almost like an apology. It's kind of like, I know you just read 21 chapters that are just absolutely unbelievable, but here's the deal. In those days... Israel had no king, and everyone did as they saw fit. And you find that very kind of sentence, that sentiment expressed no less than three more times in the book of Judges. Samson, he was born when the line between right and wrong seemed a little bit blurry, very blurry. Sound familiar? (laughs) When he was born, the Philistines were oppressing the people of God. And really, I hope your Bible's open. I promise, though, what I say will actually be from the Bible, but it will really help you if you can see this in black and white. And with each verse, uh, excuse me, 
I had a lot of sausage this morning. <laughs> wow. She's not here yet. That's good. I'm safe. <laughs> just get a little drink of coffee. Ah, oh, that's good right there. That's good. Yeah, Samson was born at a time when the Philistines were oppressing Israel. If you look at your Bibles, and I hope you'll look at your Bibles because I want you to follow along if you can. In chapter 13 of Judges, in the very first verse, it says, And again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Don't miss the importance or the significance or the meaning of that phrase, the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines. If you were delivered into the hands of your enemies, that's terrible. It's terrible because the kind of thing that's going to go on there is abduction of children and you can do nothing about it. Abduction of your women and you can do nothing about it. Abduction of your farm equipment and you can do nothing about it because you are in the hands of your enemies. I feel like sometimes I live in hard times. In fact, sometimes I feel like I must live in the end times. Look at everything that's going on. But frankly, I know nothing of the kind of life that Samson must have been living. It would be very different to be born into such times as his. And as you look at his story, you kind of begin to see that he has a specific role to fill. That in fact, there are certain things in this world and in Samson's life that God has for him to do. And Samson is just the right person to do them. And we know this is the case because of the very next verse. In 13.2, it says, A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was childless and unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. And then he speaks, the angel speaks of Samson's purpose in the latter part of verse 5. He says, he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now think about that for a minute. What does that mean to take the lead in delivering the Israelites from the Philistines? Well, these are two warring clans, not clans, nations. These are arch enemies. I just want to say right up front, Samson's ministry probably will not involve a harp, right? It's going to be a violent, a violent kind of time. He's born in hard times. He has a specific role to fill. And Samson has a specific identity to live out. He is given by God a special identity in the form of a vow called a Nazarite vow. You can read about it in Numbers chapter 6. It's generally a voluntary thing. Like in your Christian walk, I'm sorry, in your religious walk then, in your walk with Yahweh God, you might say, I am going to devote myself to God and God alone, and I'll be doing nothing that does not have to do with God. And then you would skip the Super Bowl. You would skip all those mundane daily activities to honor God, to live it out that way. Well, the Bible says that Samson was given that identity by God. It wasn't a voluntary thing. It was a gift of God, although he may not have seen it that way, that he was given. Look at verse 5. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because that boy is going to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He is called to live out this vow that God has given him. By the way, when I read that, you caught that one line, right? Did you catch it? Whose head is never to be touched by a razor. You probably know that's going to be a big deal in Samson's life later on. 
This chapter introducing Samson ends with God specifically blessing Samson. Verses 24 and 25, skip down to them, and you see the woman gave birth to the boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahan and Dan between Zorah and Eshtal. So that's kind of like where Samson comes from. Samson's story isn't just about him and Delilah and his hair, though. There are a lot of interesting stories in Samson's life, probably some that would really surprise you. One of them is this man that is hand-chosen by God, this man that is dedicated to God from his birth, this man who is God's person for the time, this guy, Samson, he actually pursues a Philistine wife. A Philistine wife. Now, Samson is under the law of God. And in the law of God, clear back generations earlier, when Moses was around, God said to them, do not intermarry with the people whose land you are entering. Do not intermarry, don't give your daughters to their sons, and don't take their daughters for your sons, for they'll turn your children away from following me to serving other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and will quickly destroy you. But take a look at Samson in chapter 14. In chapter 14, in verse 1, it says, Samson went to Timnah, where he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Really? Really, Samson? Do you think that's a good idea? A Philistine woman. And you know, his parents had to object to that. Why can't you find a nice Jewish girl and settle down? We can arrange that for you. And they aren't wrong. But in this case, God is going to use what you might think of as a weakness in Samson for his glory. Look at verse 4. In 14.4 it says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistine. For at that time they were ruling over Israel. So he's going to get this girl. It's going to take some time. He'll have to go back and forth from where he lives to her area in Timnah, but he's going to get her. In one of those journeys, when he's traveling, he runs into a lion. He's traveling to Timnah. A young lion comes at him, and in verse 6, well, it tells you what he does. It says, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands that he might have, as, as he might have torn a young goat but he neither told his father or his mother what he had done. Did you catch that phrase? The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Tore it apart. I can remember when I was a little boy, my dad came home with rabbits. <clears throat> and my dad, <laughs> this might be kind of gross, but he took the rabbit that was dead, he'd shot it, and he bit it near the neck so that he could get the flesh open and he tore the fur right off of the dead body of the rabbit. And that's how he he, uh, skinned a rabbit. And I can remember, I'm just a little guy, I'm like, he is Samson, man. How in the world did he do that? It just impressed me so much. Well, Samson wasn't doing that to a rabbit. He did that to a lion that was attacking him. And the Spirit of the Lord protected him, was at work in him. A little bit later, Samson's making a trip on that same stretch of highway, and he turns aside and he finds the lion's carcass there. 
And it says in chapter 14, verse 8, sometime later when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass and he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. Now, if you're like me, the first thing you're thinking of, that had to be sticky. I mean, how's he going to get that off of him, right? Out in the desert like that, right? But the other thing you ought to be thinking is, this is really surprising behavior for a man of God. I mean, think of what he's done. First, he's planning to marry a pagan a pagan woman, which is explicitly forbidden because of where she will take his heart. And second, you may or may not know this, but as a Nazarite, he's not supposed to touch anything dead. And he's touching the carcass of a lion. What is wrong with him? So Samson moves on and he gets to Timnah and we find him at a wedding feast. Now, have you ever been in a wedding ceremony you thought it was never going to end? It just went on and on and on and on and on, right? Well, a wedding ceremony was actually a wedding feast in the time of Samson. And it wasn't just an hour long. It wasn't just a day long. It was seven days long. And so in that seven-day period of time, you find the end of that will be with the bride and groom consummating their relationship. But in between the beginning and the end, there's just a lot of partying. There's a lot of feasting. There's a lot of drinking. And you can see guys, when they're hanging around, they're starting to drink. One of them comes up with some kind of crazy idea. Let's go out there and shoot that slingshot or whatever, you know. Samson came up with an idea. He thought of a puzzle, a riddle, that the Philistines would never be able to figure out. And there were 30 of them. So he bet them 30 changes of clothes. Farley boys, pay close attention if you lost a bet. Okay. He bets them 30 changes of clothes. And in chapter 14, verse 14, at the end of the passage, you hear the riddle. He says this, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they couldn't come up with the answer. How could they possibly? How would they know that? Samson had not even told his parents about that. He alone knew the story of the lion and the bees. And so eventually they threatened his bride. Now it's important for you to just to get a flavor of who the people were. And you can get it by looking at what they say to his bride. She is one of their own. Verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Over 30 cloaks. How about that? Did you invite us here to steal our property? So she whines and she gets Samson to give the answer. And in verse 18, they reveal they know the answer. Before sunset on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And Samson loses the wager. And he's angry because he knows they cheated. So he goes over to the next town, another Philistine town, Judges chapter 14, verse 19 says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. There's that phrase again. And he went to Ashkelon, struck down 30 of the men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to the ones who explained the riddle. And burning with answer, he returned to his father's home. And Samson's wife was given to one of his companions, who would have been a Philistine, one of his companions at the feast. Now things are going to start to ramp up. Because Samson is going to go back to get that girl. She's been given to another man as wife. Samson decides, I'm going to go down there. And when he finds out uh, that she has been given to another man, he's angry and he decides to burn their grain. It's the harvest season. And so Samson has this idea, here's how I'll burn their grain. And he caught, I think it was 300 foxes. And he tied their tails together and he put a torch between their tails and lit it. And he had those foxes, he set them free in the standing grain. And that grain was very dry in the harvest season. It just caught fire and burned up. I can remember when I was a a little boy thinking, those poor foxes, you know. 
And I still feel that way. What's up with that? And in response to what Samson does there, the Philistines turn off the heat. Now, there's no, no pun intended there, but they do. They literally burn his bride and her family. And now Samson seems to feel like he can do anything. Because in chapter 15, verse 7, in the ESV, I love how clearly it's placed. It says, and Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. If this is what you do, if this is who you are, if this is what it means to be a Philistine, if this is the kind of people you are, game on. Game on. And he's ready. In the very next verse, verse 8 says, he attacked them viciously and slaughtered many of them. Then he went down and stayed in a cave in a rock of Edom. So Philistines think to themselves, we got to do something to stop this. This guy is just going to take so many of our people out. And so they press the people of Israel and they say, turn him over to us. Turn him over to us. And so his own people go down, 3,000 of them. And they say, we want to bind you and give you to the Philistines. And he says, promise me that you won't kill me because he doesn't want to fight his own people. Promise me that you won't kill me and then you can do it. So they bind him with new ropes and they take him there. Guess what happens? It's chapter 14. I'm sorry, it's verse 14 of chapter 15. As he approached Lehi, the Philistines came toward him shouting and shouting. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax and the bindings dropped from his hands, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey. And don't you miss the King James there. Finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. And in the next verse, he's pretty pleased with himself. He writes a little poem about himself. I kind of get a picture of Barney Fife writing that song about Barney the lawman, you know? It's going to be a folk song. Verse 16, with a donkey's jawbone, I have made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And the Bible says he ruled over Israel for 20 years as a judge. Then something happens that changes everything. Samson meets this woman named Delilah. And Hollywood really loves to dramatize and romanticize their relationship. The Bible, in the Hebrew, as I understand it, it uses eight words to describe their relationship. Hollywood can spread out out over 90 minutes, right? It's chapter 16, verse 4. It says, sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And the Philistines enlist her in finding out his secret. Because they've come to the point where they realize, if this guy can kill a thousand of our men with the jawbone of a donkey, when we have the secret of iron, he's using bones against us and he's killing us. There must be a secret. He's got to have something we don't know about. What is it? And so they paid Delilah a thousand pieces of silver. And she asked him, I'm just going to condense the story. What's the secret to your strength? Well, if you tie me up with bowstrings, because those are really strong string, then I'll become as weak as any man. So Delilah does that. Samson, she says, the Philistines are upon you. And he snaps those bowstrings like their old worn out kite string. But Delilah will be his undoing. Samson, I can't believe you, you played me for the fool like that. Tell me the truth now. What is the secret to your strength? Well, it's new ropes, honey. If you tie me with new ropes, the bowstring, I thought that was pretty funny. Just tie me with new ropes and 
I'll become as weak as any man. And she ties him and she calls out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he snaps those ropes just like their bowstrings. <laughs> but Delilah will be his undoing. Then uh, she bothers him a little bit more and he says, it's my hair. Ooh, we're getting close. What do you mean it's your hair? Well, if you weave my hair this certain way into this loom, and you, you do that and I'll become as weak as any other man. She does so. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he breaks free without hardly any effort at all. But Delilah will be his undoing. Finally, she says, you have, well, listen to it. Look at chapter 16, verse 15. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool out of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength and with such nagging and prodding him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite, dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave and I would become as weak as any other man. And Delilah has become his undoing. She puts him to sleep on her lap. She calls in someone to shave his head. And some of the saddest words that you'll find in the story of Samson are right there in the middle of chapter 16, starting at verse 20. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. He did not know that the Lord had left him. (laughs) When I was young, I used to think that the worst thing that could possibly happen to Samson was what happened in the next verse, verse 21. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, took, them, took him down to Gaza, and binding him with bronze shackled, they set him to grinding grain in the prison. Having your eyes gouged out, yeah, that's among the worst thing that could possibly happen to a man like Samson. But as I have thought about it, and as I maybe deepened in my perception on life, the universe, and everything, I have come to realize that the worst thing that ever happened to Samson happened in the previous verse when it says he did not know that the Lord had left him. That was the worst thing. How tragic. God's deliverer blinded permanently. God's salvation chained in bondage. God's hero doing the work of a beast, a burden. God's chosen, alone, without the presence of the God who chose him. I want to pause for a moment. I want to ask you a serious question. I want you to think about it. Have you ever felt like Samson might have felt at that time? Have you ever felt Nothing has worked out, and nothing ever can work out. My guess is some of us have felt that way. Sometimes it comes out in, in phrases like this. I really can't go back to church until I get some things in my life straightened out. Sometimes it shows up in a thought like this. There was a time when I probably could have made a difference for the kingdom, but not anymore. I've blown it too much. Real God, real life, real people. That's our motto as a church. I will tell you, I personally have had this feeling in my adult life as a pastor. I have messed up so badly 
God can never use me again. I'm not even sure that he can still love me. (laughs) Ever felt that way? If you have, if you do, (laughs) then I would ask you to give your attention to some important lessons of redemption from the life of Samson. Samson, (laughs) if you're reading through the NIV, there's a little header in the text there along about the start of verse 23 that says, the death of Samson. And indeed, that's what is recorded here. But listen carefully. This isn't just some accounting of the death of a judge of Israel. This is an account of the redemption of a man who failed to keep his vow, who failed to obey God's call, who failed to honor the gift that God had given him, who failed to reverence the God who had given him the gift, who failed at almost everything in his life to this point. It's not just a story of the death of Samson. It's a story of redemption. And when you find yourself in Samson's way, Samson's story says, number one, hold on to hope. Now that may sound trite, but don't let it. Look at verse 22. But the hair on his head began to grow again after he had been shaved. I literally remember when I was small hearing that story and thinking when I heard that, but Samson's hair began to grow again, thinking, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh, it's curtains for those Philistines. I know what's coming. It's kind of like seeing a robin in February. Oh, I know, I know what's coming. There's hope. God doesn't give up on his people. He never does. Second Peter chapter three, verse nine says, you may feel like he's giving up or like he's slow in acting, but the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He doesn't give up on you personally. Samson gave God every reason to walk away. His evident addiction to pagan women, and by the way, we skipped the part about the prostitute that's mixed in there. His disregard for the incidentals of his Nazarite vow. The fact that there's no information at all in his story to this point about him ever even saying hello to God, let alone being a man of prayer. The way he treated animals, even. There's just not a lot to admire There's not a lot that's honorable about Samson. He gave God every reason to walk away, and God did. I mean, God did leave him. 1620, he did not know that the Lord left him. It wasn't just his hair that left him. God did. But he didn't give up on Samson personally. And he doesn't give up on you and me. And he doesn't give up on the mission There are certain things in this world that God has for you to do, and you are just the right person to do them, and God doesn't give up on his mission for you. Do you remember? Do you remember what Samson was called to do? It was clear back in the fifth verse of chapter 13. It says, he will lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistine. And he's kind of done that, but he does it wholesale in the verses that follow. We're in Judges 16. Listen to verse 23. 
Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, that is the God, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who has laid waste to our land and multiplied our slain. You see, this isn't just a political issue. This is a deeply spiritual battle that is happening here. Look at the very next verse, verse 25. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring Samson out to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he performed for them. And when they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. And then Samson prays to God. And maybe that's kind of the second lesson to get. That when you feel like you just can't be used by God anymore, don't give up hope. The hair's growing. (laughs) And turn your heart to God. and Speak to him. Pray to him. I, I don't know if Samson prayed silently. For some reason, I always imagined he did in my mind. But I don't know how we'd know the words then. <laughs> They're right here in verse 28. Maybe someone heard him and, and went ahead and survived to tell the tale. As he prayed, he prayed that God would be glorified. Verse 28. Then Samson prayed, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just once more. Let me, with one blow, get my revenge on the Philistines from my two eyes. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That sounds a little selfish. You know what I mean? A little vindictive there. If you're like, hey, Samson, what are you getting revenge for? That's not the Christian thing to do. Look, when your enemy's plucked out a couple of your eyes, come on back to me. We'll talk about it. Okay. Okay. Don't get distracted by that question, though. As far as we know, this is the first time that Samson has ever acknowledged that God has given him a gift. As far as we know, this is the first time that Samson has actually recognized the worth of the gift that's been given to him. As far as we know, this is the first time that he has asked God in humility, let me use this gift that you gave me, please, God. I don't know if it's the first time. I don't care if it's the hundredth time. (laughs) What I care about is that he did it and God did it. Because look at verse 29. Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood, embracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. What a great line, huh? (laughs) Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might and down came the temple and the rulers and all the people in it. And thus he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Here it is. God took Samson, this damaged, damaged man, Damaged in just about every way a human being could be damaged by this point in his life. And he allowed Samson to fulfill his calling. Samson actually found honor in his redemption. He lived for God by dying for God. Look at verse 31. It's the last one we'll read. It says, Then his brothers and his whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He led Israel 20 years. When your family comes and buries you in your dad's tomb with your dad, that's honor. That's honor. And he found honor in his redemption. 
I used to think when I was young, <laughs> when I was a kid, I felt like the story of Samson was the story of God's power defeating his enemies. And it is. But you see, it's also a power of human redemption through the grace of God. You see that it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. God still has his eye on you. And he still has a call for you to live out. He still has a mission for you to carry out. He still has a life for you to live in honor. And it's worth living. And because of the cross of Christ, that's possible. Because on that cross, Jesus, Jesus purchased your redemption. He made possible. Second, second tries. <laughs> Give him a second start. Third, fourth, fifth, sixth, one hundredth. He made possible our redemption when he died to pay for our sins. I want to pray that wherever you are, that you will never give up hope, that you will always turn your heart toward God, and that you will find honor by living a life worthy of your calling. If you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. I want to say thanks for the bottle of water there. <coughs> Maybe Rolaids or Alka-Seltzer would have served me better. <coughs> Let's pray. God, when we consider the life of Samson, we see that it's a thousand, it's thousands of years removed from us and thousands of miles removed from us and yet somewhat relevant to us. That all of us from time to time might feel we've messed up too bad. And God really doesn't have anything for us to do. But we see the power of your redemption in lives like that of Roethlisberger and Shields. We see the power of your redemption in the life of Samson. So help us to choose to, hope on, to hold on to hope. To see that the hair will grow back. It is. And help us to turn our hearts toward you in prayer. And look for you to use us and do things through us and in us. To make us into the one you want us to be despite of where we are. And help us to find honor in our redemption, that we might honor you by living for you. This is our prayer, and we pray it with confidence in Christ Jesus, our Redeemer. Amen.